It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So that transitions us to talking about the draft. And you had a really interesting interview published on ChicagoTribune.com. Daniel Jeremiah, who is respected as an evaluator, and he had a lot to say about the Bears and what they might do, a lot to say about the draft overall. Where do you want to start? Because I think that you had a really insightful interview with Daniel. Yeah, the entirety of that conversation can be found at chicagotribune.com. We're going to play a couple snippets here. And, and one of the things I like about Daniel Jeremiah is he spent a lot of time in the league as a scout. He was in the, the, the Ravens organization, saw Ozzie Newsom do things at a high level. And so he's got insight into how uh, effective team building works and how effective drafts are put together. Um, I, I, I've just always enjoyed how direct his insight is, how, how he goes about the process of putting it together. And obviously that, that opened up a road for us in a year where the bears are doing a lot to, to pick his brain on what they might do, you know? And, and so let's talk about the one issue, David, that, that everyone seems to be intrigued by Jalen Carter available at number nine. What do the bears do? Well, that, that, that's one of the, the conversation points that we got into with Daniel Jeremiah. Here is the, uh, here is that audio clip of, of our exchange there. The, the move puts them in a unique spot on the board. They go from one to nine, and they're in this this sort of uh, land where I think a lot of us assume that they'll address one of the fronts, defensive or offensively. Obviously, there's a lot of curiosity in our market as to what happens with uh, Jalen Carter on night one of the draft. If you were Ryan Poles or, or part of that team trying to put together the most comprehensive evaluation on Carter, um, what questions would you want to make sure you – uh, ask and get answered about Jalen Carter, and, and what questions would you want to make sure you get answered by Jalen Carter? Yeah, I think it's, you know, you talk to him, you know, he's obviously going to, you know, you would think he's going to say all the right things. To me, you're going to be spending a lot more time around those that have been around him, including teammates, support staff, coaches, all those things, and trying to compile as com- a complete a profile as you can. Uh, you know, one of the things with him, Obviously, this decision-making off the field is a, is a real concern. Um, I would say that when you watch him on the tape, I, I see a guy who appears to be pretty passionate and plays with a lot of effort and really loves football. Um, and just in my personal experience in years past, when guys have that part of it, um, and they know that that can be taken away from them. Um, that can that can open their eyes a little bit, and you can get an improvement on the you know on some of the stuff that's taking place off the field. If you've got some off the field issues and football doesn't really matter to them as much, and it's just kind of you know it's it's just a means to an end. Um, that that to me is way way scarier of a process and carries much more risk. So that's part of the uh, you know that's part of the homework that you really got to do. As part of that homework, how do you in a front office kind of ride the seesaw of sort of that potential regret of, of five years up the road maybe passing on a talent like Carter versus, you know, the potential regret a, a, a bunch of teams might have, um, you know, if they take them and some of the some of the decision-making and off-the-field stuff burns you. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I go back to my time with Ozzie Newsom, and I'm sure Ian will rely on this as well. Which is, you know, you can't be scared. To, you can't be scared, you know, to be aggressive. But Ozzie always felt like in the first round, he, he was okay with doubles. He just didn't want misses. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was a philosophy that served him and that organization well for a very long time. So if they can get to the point where they're comfortable and they feel like it's, you know, they've really minimized the risk there, the talent is undeniable. I think he's the most talented player in the draft. Um, but if it's a, if it's a 50-50 deal um, in terms of whether or not you think he's going to be able to toe the line and, and, uh, and do what needs to be done on and off the field, I, I don't think they would do it. That's a very interesting answer. And Dan, what did you take away the most from that? Because I know what I heard. Yeah. Um, it, it sort of marries up with some of the things that I'm interpreting from the things that Ryan Poles has said. And it, it, it's, this isn't a decision on one player. It's a decision on one player amongst a group of guys that are going to be available to you on the menu at number nine. And so you want to um, increase your odds of getting on base you know, and so if you have these hesitations and 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 these these worries and these reservations that oh man, this could wind up blowing up in our face. Well, there are other things on the menu that you can choose that will will help you sleep at night and will give you more comfort that you're going to bring in a player to your building and to your roster that's going to help you for years and years on end. Maybe you're sacrificing a little bit in terms of the high end upside, but that 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 certainty in this league means a lot. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway from that exchange. So Ozzie Newsom who he worked for, Ozzie Newsom had the philosophy of in the first round, you want to make, he'll settle for doubles or settle might not have been the verb he used, but he'll, he wants doubles and he doesn't want misses. And to me, if Ian Cunningham, if Ryan Poles look at this the same way, I think that it will answer the question about, about Jalen Carter. And I don't even know if it's going to be a relevant point or, or a dilemma they face because it might be moot if uh-huh. a team like the Seahawks or the Lions take the problem off their hands by drafting Jalen Carter fifth or sixth, which is a very high possibility. But I do think that if I'm sitting there and I'm Ryan Pohl at number nine or we're watching this unfold and Jalen Carter's on the board and the Bears are drafted ninth, I'm remembering that. And I'm thinking of that because I've said that before myself. I don't think this is a draft where Ryan Poles can afford to swing and miss and you've got to connect and it, to use the baseball analogy i don't know that it can be home run or strikeout i think you if you feel like it's a double take the double and i think an offensive tackle would be doubling in the gap yeah no question and just to further this baseball analogy i know i've been teasing this for a number of weeks but right now thursday morning is a scheduled launch time for the uh, bears batting average project that Brad Biggs and I have put together since the Jerry Angelo regime started back in 2002, 200 or 21 drafts and 159 draft picks that we went through and assessed, uh, called them either a hit, an extra base hit, a, a, a miss, a, a, a whiff. You know, there's been plenty of whiffs, David. You, you, you've smelled some of those whiffs that they've had at the plate and a handful of guys that we just couldn't come to a decision on that are still uh, playing for the, the Bears under a rookie contract. So look for that this week because that's going to give us some more fodder to talk about uh, as we go forward. I love that. I love that project. So I think that's the mindset when it comes to Jalen Carter. I understand and would respect that. What else did you get to with Daniel Jeremiah? All right. So we'll flip to the other line, you know, because we we've talked about the other line and the offensive tackle decision that might be facing the bears say they've got the decision at nine with all three tackles on the board. Maybe it's Paris Johnson, Peter Skronsky and Broderick Jones. Uh, They're waiting for them. 
had a chance to ask Daniel Jeremiah which way he would lean there, and then also get into uh, a little bit more about Maine South High School alum and Northwestern star Peter Skaronski. Here's that exchange. You mentioned addressing the front in front of Justin is going to be important, and their offensive line yeah. still needs to be upgraded. If you were hell-bent on getting a tackle before Friday night ends, who of the, the, the trio up top, the Skaronski-Johnson-Jones trio, would you want most? And if you waited until Friday night, who might be appealing in that, that 53 to, to 64 range where they've got a few picks? Yeah, for me, it's Skaronski, even though, you know, there's a chance he ends up moving inside playing guard. Uh, I've seen he's the best football player. Um, so that would be the direction that I would go and just allows you to get your best five on the field because I think he could probably play any of the five positions, to be honest. Um, so that would be the, the way I would go there at nine if you're, if you're staring at all of them. If you're looking at what's going to be there at 53, uh, tackle-wise, I think it kind of falls off. Yeah, after after Wright, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, I think there's a pretty steep drop off. Um, and you know, to be honest, I don't love the options that you're going to be you know facing there. You're looking at Dewan Jones, Jalen Duncan. Um, you know, I, I don't really love either player. There's a lot of ability there, uh, but those are uh, those are probably those top two guys. I like Bergeron a lot yeah. from from Syracuse. Uh, would, that would be of those guys. I would say Bergeron would be the one I would prefer. Although he's similar to uh, similar to Skaronsky in that a lot of teams have him as a guard. So what would be your reservations with with using a top ten pick on a guy who in Skaronsky whose position you might not know yet? Well, I think there's a difference between not thinking a guy can play tackle versus thinking the guy is going to be a better guard. I think he can be a good tackle. Like a a good example of that would be somebody like Zach Martin. Zach Martin could have played tackle in the NFL and been a good tackle, and he's had to at times. Zach Martin's going to go to the Hall of Fame as a guard. Uh, You know, we saw with Elijah Barrett Tucker when he came out a few years ago. He, you know, he could play right tackle, and then he did last year when when called upon and did really well. Uh, But he's got a chance to be a much more dominant guard. So with Skaronsky in in you know to say that he's not a tackle is not I wouldn't say that's accurate I would just say he's he's even a better guard. That's interesting. That's interesting because you can get a variety of opinions and a range of guy of of orders or rankings about those three tackles at the top considered to be at the top of the draft. Skaronsky, Paris Johnson Jr., and Broderick Jones talked to somebody this morning who felt like. You know, Paris Johnson was being slightly overrated now, and 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 I I I don't I'm not in a position to disagree with someone's assessment because it's their evaluation. They're a professional; they do this for a living. So uh, you know, you it just gives you pause that there and, and reminds you there are no perfect prospects. But I do sense some momentum in talking, if you if you can call it that, but some momentum among evaluators with Peter Skronsky. Yeah, what if they the Bears chose Skaronski and thought that he could be their left guard, you know, and then all of a sudden had had, had Nate Davis and Cody Whitehair and, and Peter Skaronski inside, and you, you you have trust in in uh, in Braxton Jones out on the left side, and then you just figure out what your options are. Right, um, certainly out there. I, I like there is like I, I was happy that, that that Daniel Jeremiah kind of put that frame around things and saying that there's not really these doubts 
that he could be a, a, a good tackle in the NFL. It's more where can he be at his best? Because that, that's a big difference in saying, well, his arms are too short. He's never gonna he's never gonna make it in the league as a tackle. That doesn't seem to be what anyone in the league is saying. It's just okay, where's the where's the best fit for him with what we're trying to accomplish? That's a whole different discussion point, and that's one obviously the Bears have to have it in Lake Forest. And I think that when you start to hear people project him as the the best football player, then you start to wonder if uh, people are making too much out of, you know, the arm length issue. And even though it is something that is, you know, charted and measured and you can look around the league and not find guys with his specifications, I do wonder if sometimes you know, we overthink this and it's okay. overanalyzed and, and, and the, the intangibles might outweigh the limitations in this case. To that point, this is another thing that, that I think is worth emphasizing, particularly at this point in the pre-draft process, is if, if arm length is the first thing that comes up in your draft room discussion of Peter Skaronsky, you're doing things wrong. But if you're discounting it all together, you're not doing the evaluation complete enough because you can you can start with four or five of Peter Skaronsky's greatest strengths and say, this is why he would be a perfect fit inside our building and a long-term difference maker on our offensive line. But you do also have to acknowledge the flaws and the deficiencies and say, hey, let's talk through these and figure out what does he have that will help him compensate for said deficiency. And then that just furthers the discussion. One of the guys in my career that, that I, it's hilarious to look back on now uh, is Harrison Smith. He drafted he, the Vikings had a, a two first round picks the year that Harrison Smith was picked and they took him and there was some questions. Oh man, he's too slow. He's never going to be able to play in the NFL. You look at his athletic measurables and they're just not there. And the Vikings decided inside their front office that look like that 40 speed, we can, we can make up for 0.35 seconds on a 40 time by a guy who sees what's coming and cheats two yards over to the left before the play starts to make up for that ground for a guy who has a feel for how a receiver runs his route for a guy who has instincts to make plays. And Harrison Smith's like a, a seven time pro bowl safety at this point, because the Vikings, you know, had the discussions internally and said, yes, there's some athletic deficiencies here, but there's a lot more that he'll overcome. Similar discussions should be being had about Peter Skaronsky. It's a great point. It's a great comparison it's a, because it's really impossible to know just what being a better football player or being a complete football player with all of the instincts that come with that description and with all of the experience that he's had at Northwestern against big 10 defensive linemen, that can't be discounted. And frankly, if the bears choose him over the other two at number nine and take the first offensive lineman off the board, which is a very good possibility, Dan, then that will be exactly we'll remember this conversation because they will have leaned into that more than anything else. They will have drafted him because of that, or maybe in spite of the other things that people want to consider limitations, they don't consider limitations at all. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's going to be interesting because I haven't heard anybody in league circles say that, oh boy, you know, be careful with Peter Skaronsky, stay away. It's just like, look, there are things, he's not the perfect prospect. And so if you're not perfect, let's have the discussions about the limitations and figure out where we get to as, a, as an organization and as a staff. That's the way the draft process should work. Okay, final clip for me uh, from Daniel Jeremiah is just some big picture stuff because we know that Ryan Poles has got a lot on his plate. And as we've talked about on this this podcast, it's easy to get fixated on what they're going to do at number nine and think that's the entire draft. Well, <laughs> Ryan's got to put together a full draft class in 2023. He's got to back it up in 2024 with another solid draft class. There's a lot of work ahead of him to get this roster and this depth chart where it needs to be to be championship uh, contender. And so I just kind of picked Daniel Jeremiah's brain on kind of how he would uh, do things inside Alice Hall if he were in Ryan's chair and kind of some of the, the vision he would have to use. Here's that. 
the mock draft season it's easy to get fixated on the the headliners of everybody's draft class and see it as a as a one pick draft right for forever um with the bears knowing knowing where their roster is and where it needs to go and, and understanding that ryan's got the chance now to add 10 maybe 12 players to the roster depending on how he moves on, on draft weekend what are the the one or two boxes you think absolutely positively must be checked when draft weekend ends for them I just think, it, to me, it's all the offensive line. I just go back to this kind of being the year of fields, you know, sink or swim, uh, you know, know exactly what you have with him. Uh, that's why, to me, if you told me that they had the 32nd-ranked defense in the league next year, but that they knew whether or not Fields was the guy and uh, and had that, that answer, I think it'd be a successful year. So, I, to me, it'd be, uh, you know, I know you got defensive head coach, but, this should be an offensive heavy draft, in my opinion, even though the defense is where it is. I, I want to give him every every opportunity to be successful and give yourself every opportunity to evaluate him as you go into a year next year where you've got some extra picks. Um, and it, it looks at least ahead of time like it's a good quarterback year. I think that they have to know what they have in fields by the end of next year. So so to that point, we've kind of sold it here as uh, they, they need to set up the no excuses tour for Justin in 2023. Yes, that's a good way to put it. I might steal that. Yeah. We're going to have 17 dates, you know, and, and for maybe from uh, L.A. To, to Munich, potentially, when the schedule comes out of all the places that they're going to play. But yeah. but as, as you kind of assess him this, this upcoming year, what do you need to see in 2023? And what are the steps that he needs to make um, for you in, in a front office to feel comfortable staying down that path beyond this year? Yeah, in its simplest form, I just want to see him major in his arm and minor in his legs, you know, and and. To no, you know, you, you could arguably say to no fault of his own. That's what they've had to do uh, because of what's in front of him and who he had on the outside. He didn't have much choice. So, to me, I want to see him, you know, show improvement, win from the pocket, uh, you know, be a more consistent passer, be more accurate, uh, you know, all those things. And I just don't think we've had a chance to to fairly evaluate him in that in that world so that to me is the improvement that i want to see i want to see the legs be more of a in case of emergency break glass option as opposed to being the number one uh, option daniel jeremiah very good there if he's going to steal our no excuses yeah. tour for 2023 i'm going to steal his major in his arm minor in his legs because i love that characterization about what justin fields needs to do not only to be effective in 2023, but to stay on the field because that's key to what the Bears are going to do next year is him not only being dangerous, but staying healthy. First of all, we need the massive legal team that we have at the Take the North podcast to go out and get the No Excuses Tour trademarked today. Yes. That has to be trademarked by sundown I so know. that we're not dealing with any of these uh, stolen stolen ideas. And, 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 you know, obviously intellectual property is very valuable these days, particularly in the NFL. So let's get that taken care of. But I hope that Daniel Jeremiah opens up his social media replies uh, to the same sort of vitriol that you and I got in the fall for saying the exact same things, and, and, and then and then just getting cannon blasted for for two and a half months, and then everybody else in the league says it after the season's over, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, it makes oh, sense." Yeah, oh yeah, man, that makes sense. That's, that's perfect sense. Justin Fields needs to be more of a passer, less of a runner in 2023 because what happens here? Complete. I don't know. That's okay. We can take. We will be the front line. We'll take the. We'll, we'll take the abuse, and then everyone else can benefit later. But yeah, and then one of the other things he said later in the conversation, just kind of echoing what he said in that clip, is just this idea that right now, because of the stage you're at with Justin Fields, like 
bulking up on offense with talent and depth and, and fortified offensive line groups, et cetera, is, is the path that he would go down. We don't know if that's the path Ryan and, and Ian will decide to go down in a week from now. Um, but it's an interesting path to consider. And it's certainly one that like in, in, in Jeremiah's opinion, it's, it's like you try to get Justin established at a certain level. And once you've established him, once he's cleared a couple more stages and leveled up, well, now you can kind of say, okay, we've got enough talent in our quarterback to go be very productive with lesser tiered playmakers because our quarterback is so good. You know, there's nobody uh, that, that, that argues that, that Kansas city screwed up by getting rid of Tyreek Hill. <laughs> they went out and win the Super Bowl the first year right. they didn't have them. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, that's an extreme example in, in multiple ways, but, but you know, that that's kind of the idea here that as your quarterback gets better, well, now all of a sudden he doesn't need as much help around him. And then you can start to kind of use those resources in other directions. Good stuff. That was a very comprehensive interview with Daniel Jeremiah. It's also on ChicagoTribune.com. As you said, 